Welcome to the Age of Audio. My name's Graham Brown from the award-winning podcast agency Pickle & Co. The Age of Audio is a series of conversations with thought leaders and changemakers in the world of audio. That's podcasts, radio, and social audio, converging with big data to create engaging and authentic content for a new generation of listeners. Andrew, let's just jump straight in. Let's talk about cricket. <laughs> talk about first, maybe, who's going to win the Ashes. <laughs> and second, <laughs> let's talk about uh, why does, uh, I mean, you, your sort of journey with cricket and podcasts has been quite a, you know, a number of years. So tell me about how you got started in that. And then also, why do these two work well together? Yeah, well, thanks very much for having me on your podcast, The Age of Audio. It's great, great to talk about podcasting. I always love talking about an industry that I'm passionate about and obviously intimately involved with. How I got into podcasting, it was back in 2013, so it was eight years ago, and I was listening to a lot of podcasts. I was just sort of starting to emerge, and I'm a huge cricket fan, and I, I was really disappointed that there were just all these, not all, there was the only cricket podcasts were coming from England. And as an Aussie, there's only so much chat <laughs> the English cricket team. It's more and authoritative, though, from England, don't you believe? No, it's just the accent. It's a false authority. <laughs> um, so when, when I sort of started listening and actually went on uh, an English cricket podcast and thought, I can do this, there's a hole in the market, I was friends with a sports journalist at the time, so we kind of thought, let's just start a cricket podcast for Aussie fans. And mm. that's one of the things I love about podcasting is you don't have to be, you know, everything for everyone. You can settle on a niche and focus focus on a niche, and it's, you know, a great way of, um, you know, building an audience and connecting with people. Wait a minute. How are you qualified to start a podcast? I wasn't qualified at all. I, I just um, fell into it and I have had some experience, you know, public speaking and that kind of thing, but I'm a big cricket fan. I consider myself quite knowledgeable about the game. And, you know, it was back in 2013. It was the wild west of podcasting. You could mm. sort of, anyone could, well, anyone still can start a show, but uh, there was just sort of a big, there was no one talking about Australian cricket. So, Hmm. You know, people, you know, I came up from a fan's perspective as well. Um, so that sort of brought that side to it where I, was, I wasn't trying to be a journalist as much as a fan. Hmm. Because you were a journalist for a number of years or a freelance in, for News Corp. Um, well, that came after the podcast. See, it's all right. in So I was, I actually... I owned a cafe, I still own a cafe, but I owned a cafe at the time and I had all this sort of free time and thought, you know, I can, when I close the doors at four o'clock in the afternoon, um, you know, I can record in here and, and start a podcast. So I actually went the other way. I was a podcaster that then mm. was brought into News Limited because of the podcast and that's how I got into writing and sort of journalism. It's fascinating, isn't it, that – your qualification for being a commentator, an analyst of sorts, was the fact that you were passionate about the game. That qualified you more than the quote-unquote experts, the editors, 
of traditional media. And in a way, that is really a, a shift, isn't it? Traditional media, if you think about cricket commentary, there's only a handful of people that can do it, obviously, because of the bandwidth, because of the amount of seats available to be a commentator. And yet now, what you've done is thrown down the gauntlet to anybody who has the gumption to get up and cares enough about standing up and talking about what you really are passionate about. Was there any sort of doubts in your mind when you started off, like who's going to listen to me? Or did you not really care when you got started? Well, I just want to go back to something you said. I, I think though that what you do get from doing a podcast is, you know, actually doing something every week does end up bringing a lot of knowledge and qualifications. So, mm. Actually, every week recording a podcast, keeping up on the cricket news, interviewing players, all that stuff um, it actually does, you know, give you uh, qualifications for other stuff. It's it's just the, the simple fact that, you know, if, if you're sort of – a podcast is unique, but if, if someone will have a TV show covering cricket every week, uh, it would be the same thing. So yeah. I, I think – and I would say this to anybody, you know, just doing something – is the first step, you know, you just gain a lot of knowledge through preparing and then all the interviews, et cetera. And then I guess, did I have doubts uh, about whether anyone would listen? Not really. Uh, I didn't think about it too much because, you know, I went into it not expecting a lot of people to listen. It was a new medium and there's there no competition. So I just thought, well, if you're an Australian cricket fan and, especially if you were traveling or overseas and you wanted to keep in touch with the, the cricket action from back home, you know, there's nothing better than a podcast for that. Hmm. What, what did you model the format on? Did you have in your idea some sort of radio formats that you liked and wanted to borrow from or was it TV shows? Where did the inspiration come? Yeah, just kind of messed around with the format over the first few years. So there was no real sort of a set format. But but I guess, you know, I listened to other shows and I listened to, you know, like baseball podcasts and football podcasts. And I sort of just borrowed from them sort of ideas about structure. and But I kind of, you know, learned as I went along. And especially mm. the first three or four years was there was no real formula, but I, I always wanted to make it, you know, quick, compelling, not a lot of chit chat. Like I don't like that notion of a podcast where people can just get on and chat about their week and people are going to listen to that. So mm. I always wanted to get straight into the news and make it worth someone's time if they're going to, you know, listen to it, that they're going to get some something from it, which was, you know, cricket news and knowledge. So, yeah, I, I kind of developed the format over time. And it's sort of now in a pretty set format, but in the first few years, it just changed depending on who was on the show. Sometimes mm. it'd be me and one person, sometimes me and two people, sometimes it'd be an interview show. Uh, the format just kind of, you know, was very fluid. And the pros, who have you had on your show? Who haven't I had, Graham? Well, I've been lucky enough to interview, uh, I mean, you know, hundreds of cricketers now. Mm. Um, from all levels. I guess the real highlights for me though is when you interview a childhood hero. Um, mm. So I interviewed Ian Chappell one mm. day and boy, was I nervous going into that, Graham. I mean, 
I've been more nervous on one other occasion, but this one, I just knew Ciappelli, you know, did not suffer fools easily. He was a no bullshit kind of guy. And I, the interview was scheduled for like Sunday morning at 11 a.m. I was calling him and I was like, okay, so it's going to be Sunday morning. But, yeah, he was lovely. So interviewing mm. him was a real thrill. Interviewing Alan Border was another massive thrill for me because nice. as a kid he was my hero. So, yeah, they're the, probably the two ones that are – you know, really stand out to me. But I've been really fortunate to interview a lot of great cricketers, commentators, yeah. writers. Well, two of the best there, Ian Chappell, Alan Border. Yeah, I mean, these are great names. And what was it like in, in the sense that do you think that, I, I, you know, one of the things that I find is that when you speak to, or when one speaks to, you know, like celebs, they get into their sort of standard, PR mode, i.e., you know, they're, they're used to doing the rounds and therefore, you know, they have their clipped answers. They know what people want to hear and they'll give you exactly enough and never more. How is it with you? Were you able to sort of go beyond that veneer a little bit? Because I feel that with podcasts, audiences kind of want that a little bit. They kind of want to get behind and understand a bit more about the man behind the mask, if you like. And some celebs are really good at that. You know, they're good at opening up and being more human. And yet others are always kind of acting as if they were on TV or, you know, more mainstream radio. How was it with those guys? Did you manage to kind of open them up a little bit? What was your experience? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Uh I love interviewing people and you're right, it is a challenge. And I, look, I don't think you can go into every interview thinking you're going to get some amazing revelation, especially from people that have done many, many interviews before. So I think when you go in sort of setting yourself up for stuff like that, that's a problem because then you're just looking for sort of those, um, I don't know, sensational bits. But I find that the great thing about podcasting is, is, it's a longer interview. So I've done a lot of press packs and it's really easy for an athlete to have their sort of very stock standard answers in those mm. press conferences. But when you get them in a podcast and it's just you and them, hopefully, if, if you're lucky, and you're speaking to them for longer, it's actually harder for someone to keep up their guard for that sort of length of time. So mm. if you spend a bit of time and slowly sort of try and unpack stuff and lead them to a place, you can get some pretty great stuff. So that's my strategy is, mm. is time, try and sort of, you know, lead them to that place, but also um, just, just being confident as well. You know, you, sometimes you've got to ask a tough question and if they don't like you afterwards, bad luck. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I wonder, like, how do your fans react to that? Because you, you said you set out, you know, at the beginning, Andrew, to create a podcast for fans. And, you know, one of the things I've noticed is that of all the podcasts starting these days, only a small percentage of them actually start thinking from the perspective of what do people want to listen to as opposed to what do I want to talk about, which is often the case. And so, like starting almost as if you were on, you know, like commercial radio, where you have to start with that position of what do the audience want to hear? You know, I've got their attention. That's the most valuable thing in the world. What do they want to hear about? So in your case, how do you get your fans involved? How do you 
interact with them? And how does that work with the kind of guests that you have on the show as well? Social media is a big one for interacting with your fans. And in a way, I've had sort of a, I guess, a classical kind of podcast journey where you start start as sort of an amateur in your living room and, and I've progressed to a more professional environment. So, you know, I've, it's been interesting to sort of speak to the fans that have been listening from the beginning and can sort of see the evolution of the show and myself as the host and they've seen the first trickle of guests start to come in and then all of a sudden, you know, the guests are getting bigger names and bigger names. So that, I think there's you know, taking the, the audience on that journey with you is important and that's been, you know, a great way of sort of you know, keeping engaged with the audience. And then when it comes to guests, I always think about every decision I make editorially is what would a cricket fan want to hear and not a casual cricket fan because I'm not generally talking to casual cricket fans, but you know, what would a real cricket sort of tragic want to hear about? Yeah. Having that clear avatar of who your audience is, is very important, isn't it? Well, and I had that from the really beginning. So I never thought this podcast would be for someone who kind of likes cricket, but just, Mm. you know, wants to listen to something to catch up on it. I thought, no, I want this to be for sort of fans that come with an assumed amount of knowledge. Yeah. In podcasting, one of the real strengths is this idea of narrow casting as opposed to broadcasting, which, you know, you can target a specific group of people and not dilute the message down for a wider reach because a small but concentrated fan base is a lot more powerful than a very broad and thin fan base as you would in sort of traditional broadcast media so to have you know i think i see a lot of podcasters setting out without a clear understanding of who their audiences are and that is a problem because who are you talking to specifically You know, you've got to be very clear about who that audience is, their assumed level of knowledge, and also, you know, what the in-jokes are, what the inside knowledge is, and what their sort of frustrations are with the conversations that you're talking about. That's a good starting point. How do you nurture that over time? What sort of interactions do you have with your fans in the long term? You know, do they contribute to the content? Do they comment? Do they submit questions? What works for you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it's changed from sort of when I was an independent podcaster. It was a lot of interaction. We had giveaways for leaving reviews. We used to take listener questions. Uh, I even had a couple of listeners on the show. Then when I sort of moved to News Limited and it became more professional production, there was probably a little bit less of that. But now that the show's independent again, Certainly there's a lot of, the main thing the audience send in is um, feedback and if it's bad feedback, I'll just abuse them. Um, And then questions, topics, um, that kind of thing. You know, it's nice when I go to cricket grounds and um, recently I was doing ground announcing at a cricket ground and all of a sudden I got all these messages from people that listened to my podcast and were like, oh, I just heard your voice at this ground (laughs) doing the announcing. Uh, so I got to meet a few fans, which was good in in, nice. in person, in IRL, in real life. Yeah. What was that like? That was really nice. And not this time, but the time before I met some fans, 
you know, as I said, a few of them had been listening to the show since the beginning. And I found that quite nice that I could sort of meet these fans and, you know, they heard me when it was just me and a mate and we were talking over one microphone and it was pretty rough to now. That was quite nice to be able to meet those people that have been there the whole time and, you know, put a face to the name and have a chat. Hmm. They feel like they're part of the journey as well. I'm sure that they were there at the beginning. They are because uh, if no one had listened, I probably would have stopped. Yeah. So let's say, I mean, we're going to start a podcast and the podcast is- You and I? Yeah. We have to find some mutual sport, which we can talk about. It's not going to be cricket, for example. So let's put that mm. aside. Something in England and Australia both play uh, mm. at, at sort of like at equal levels. So we can put rugby aside as well. Let's get down to table tennis. So we're going to start a table, table tennis podcast. How do you then model what you did with the cricket podcast and make that work? You know, if you had a playbook, and let's say Andrew and Graham sit down to create this podcast, they got an idea. What are the steps that you need to go through to kind of accelerate those eight years of learning so you don't have to kind of make all the same mistakes? The first thing is what you mentioned. You just have to work out who you're talking to. So once you sort of define your listener, you work backwards and you sort of work out, you know, who they are, what they want and what you're going to give them. And then you sort of work back and deliver that. Um, so uh, th that's sort of my overall advice. When it comes to things like launching a show now, it's very difficult because mm -hmm. there's so many podcasts out there and discovery is a very real problem. I would suggest with something like, say, table tennis, well, there's probably not a lot of table tennis podcasts out there. But, you know, if I was starting a cricket podcast now, I'd look on iTunes and there's maybe 100 cricket podcasts, if not more, and you sort of have to think about how are you going to be different to the ones that are out there and how are you going to find an audience with your new show. Then you sort of get to the sort of, you know, nitty-gritty of show structure and that kind of thing and you know you sort of have to work out how you're going to keep your listeners sort of engaged mm. for the whole podcast episode yeah i look at uh podcasts now that the real challenge is like you say supply versus demand for you know attention effectively that that has become so easy for anybody to step up to the mic has meant this sort of flood of podcasts which is great yeah, the flip side of that is it's, you know, easier to produce but harder to promote. So the competition is really shifting on store. Think about the strategies people have had for podcast growth over the last three to five years, which have been sharing with guests. You get a guest, you get the guest to share with their network. The guest fans come and check out your podcast, but very little of that actually converts to subscribers. At least now. I mean, it's very different now to it was five years ago. So what's happening is, is that it's now shifting on store. So if you're up against a hundred podcasts in the same niche in cricket, right? It's how do you ensure that you grow that audience episode to episode? And that's really interesting because you've had eight years experience of this. You know how to keep people coming back. What's the secret there? What is missing? In most podcasts today, that is repeat listeners. It's about what someone's getting in return. What And from, from my point of view, I know that if you're a cricket fan and you want a podcast that wraps up the cricket news 
tightly in about under an hour, hours is the podcast to go to. But I do feel that there's a lot of podcasts now that don't really service a need. They're just a nice listen. Oh, that was a nice interview or hmm. um, that was a nice story, which is why something like True Crime is doing so well because it's so compelling. You're like, you want to listen to the next episode to find out what happened. Um, so I think it's about, you know, making sure you're, as I said, valuing the, the listener's time. And then you need things like good hosts and fun and, you know, unfiltered and just personality and and things that are, you know, going to make people want to listen. But um, generally, if if it's just a nice listen, that's not good enough anymore. Hmm. And, and it's because, you know, one thing I've noticed is a few years ago, getting a, a sort of a relatively famous or well-known media personality on a podcast was a big thing because they weren't doing them. So that was a great thing. You'd get someone well-known and that would promote your show. But now everyone gets good people on their podcast. And if they're not getting them on their podcast, those people are doing podcasts themselves. So there's no point thinking I'm just going to get a big name and people are going to listen because that's not enough anymore. And I think there's too much of that in the podcasting sphere. Let's interview famous people and let's do this and, you know, get people on that are well-known and that's going to boost my podcast. Whereas I think now actually it's oversaturated with that. And, um, you, you're probably better off going the other way and sort of finding your own unique voice. It's almost like running a, a cafe or a restaurant, isn't it? That you could get the celebrity chef running out from the kitchen and paying him celebrity wages and you could probably bring in the media and the PR. And yet these restaurants turn over so fast, don't they? The ones that really survive are the ones slightly out of town that serve really good food and they can pack people in on a Wednesday afternoon or they can pack people in on an off night. And anybody can get a, a full house on a Friday night or a Saturday night in a restaurant, right? Or a cafe. At least they did in the pre-COVID days. But that sort of model is similar to podcasts, isn't it? It's that you can get in the big names and they can bring in the crowds. But what the challenge is, is doing that week in, week out the consistency and that's your sort of organic fan base, isn't it? And I wonder as well, sort of moving forward, the challenge that what's going to happen on the stores is over time, you're going to see this polarization just as you see in any media landscape, right? That the guys who were there first, like yourself, or those that have consolidated resources, so the networks, or the larger agencies, or you know those that have access to Spotify and Apple in some preferred way, will get more. And those, everybody else, will get less. Because that's just going to be how it is. Just like with Amazon, you know, it wants to make sure that when you're searching, it's going to serve you up the products you're most likely to buy. So those with a history, effectively, it's the same with that, same with. Apple and Spotify, they're going to serve up your search results based on the content that is the most engaging. So it's going to get harder, isn't it? It's going to get harder for people to build fan bases. It's going to get harder for people to rely on celebrities as sort of a, a hack, if you like, to get up the, the audience curve. Where do we go from here in the next two to five years 
what do you see in this space that's going to be interesting in terms of how the rules of the game are, are evolving and changing for success in podcasts? Yeah, it's an interesting question. The fragmentation of the industry is been quite interesting. For, you know, I found that fascinating to watch the way the sort of different apps are developing and Spotify's entrance into the podcasting sphere has made a huge difference to the industry. And I didn't probably twig on to how big of a difference it would make by simply the fact that millions of people have the Spotify app and use it. So you, you're not driving people to a new app. I always used to sort of tell people about podcasting a few years ago and you'd have to sort of show them the, the purple app on their iPhone. Hmm. And now that's sort of changed. People are used to sort of on-demand audio. And that's already what you talk about with the discovery. That's already there. I think, you know, there's, it's pretty hard to stick out. But what you do need to do is a really good show because, you know, really good shows will rise to the top. Hmm. And then over the next three to five years, I actually think it's a really positive outlook because one thing that's sort of happening is people are really used to subscription models and they're happy to pay for on-demand content that they want. So, you know, the big challenge for podcasts is how you monetize and how you make them a viable business. And I think now in the next three to five years, there's going to be a multitude of ways to do that. And whether that's advertising, if you're one of those bigger platforms with a big audience, or whether that's, you know, a smaller subscription type thing, if you're, say, you know, a niche podcast on table tennis, hmm. you might just find a thousand people that love table tennis and will pay a certain amount for each week for the show. And you know, Apple, as we record this, are due to make huge changes to the Apple store. And I, I think the whole industry could be turned on its head hmm. where it's just click, okay, I'll buy this bonus episode for 50 cents or whatever, however it's going to play out. But I actually think the future is sort of subscription models. And I think on-demand content is just growing and growing. So I only see it as sort of a, a, a positive growth industry. Apple and Spotify are interesting, aren't they? They both have subscription payment mechanisms built into the platform. And Apple more so. Obviously, Spotify has one subscription uh, mechanism and that's it. But Apple has a lot more... Uh, a lot more capability and scope for subscription, even just buying, as you would on iTunes, an individual track or what people used to do in the day, right? Mm. So that makes for micro payments a lot easier. I can see that happening a lot more easily on Apple than on Spotify because Apple could easily activate that. Spotify would have to make some quite fundamental changes to allow that. And it would probably be, if anything, for Spotify, a lot more centralized, i.e., you know, these are our subscriber models, right? And in the same way, you would have something like Sky, you know, offering its premium subscription package, right, on TV. And with uh, Apple, however, because of their experience with the App Store, that they have a lot more scope to introduce something like that for micropayments. That's going to be fascinating how that plays out. And also, I mean, if you think about it, that Spotify is already geared towards advertising more than it is to subscription compared to Apple, for example. I know it has in-app purchases, but the actual technology 
side of things makes Apple a much more likely player to have a go at the subscription model. Yeah, definitely. And the micropayments thing will be a big, big um, change when it happens. Hmm. Yeah, and I mean, you could offer a lot of free content, but then say you get a feature interview with somebody who's people are, who people want are going to pay to hear that, then uh, that's where you might charge for that bonus episode. Yeah, it hasn't really taken off yet, though, has it? I mean, we've had like the Patreon models with subscribed subscription content. And that seems to gravitate a lot towards politics and uh, music as well. I, you know, if you're a band, you could, you know, build up your fan base and get money out of them through premium content through Patreon. And then also politics as well, but, you know, like they have a certain political bent and therefore you would subscribe to that to support that viewpoint, if you like. I haven't really seen it gone outside of that. I'm just wondering what we need to kind of make those subscription models really fly because sport would be ideally placed for this, right? That would be a great way to get people to, you know, help build a community. Yeah, well, people are just lazy. That's my feeling. So you just got to make it easy for people. And the technology just keeps on getting better. I think Patreon's really good. And now it's much easier than it was a year or two ago. And it's, you know, if you look at its net value, it's in the billions now. So I think those models are just going to get better and better and easier to use. And that'll propel growth because people don't want barriers to entry. You know, I'll go and sign up for this and put this RSS feed in your app and do this. Um, so I think as the technology gets better, that'll open up sort of different options. Okay, so let's round up. One last question for you, Andrew. And as an opinionated Aussie, this is mm. a sitter. But, uh, what is it that you believe about podcasts that other people don't? What is it that you see that others aren't seeing yet? What what are you? What's your conviction about podcasts that the world disagrees with you on? Hmm. I don't know if there is one. Actually, I, I don't think I can give myself enough credit to sort of <laughs> uh, think that I've got some unique view on podcasting. But I guess my overall um, philosophy is just be fearless. It's it's still one of those industries where there are no rules. And you should just have a fucking crack. You've been listening to The Age of Audio with me, Graham Brown, from the award-winning podcast agency Pickle & Co. To get access to all the audio conversations and book content for The Age of Audio, go to www.theageofaudio.com. One more time, theageofaudio.com.